Um, I have been taken by the book of Daniel of late, and a circuitous set of circumstances took me there. Um, but you know, this is resistance literature. And it seemed to me that this is um, a word perhaps that we need to hear today. The whole of the book of Daniel, not just the first chapter. But um, I thought about doing selected verses, but Lord, this is a wonderful story, isn't it? So the whole of it is in your uh, bulletin, and I'm going to read the whole thing. There's a lot of difficult-to-pronounce words in here, and I'm just going to do my best. Um, and uh, just know that there are probably only about two people out there that know that I'm mispronouncing them, and that's okay. I can live with that. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenzas, to bring some of the Israelites to the royal house and of the mobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be brought, taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of royal rations, of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of the time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poor condition and the other men of, of, of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard of the palace master who, who was appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
you can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the other young men who ate the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw the royal rations and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill uh, in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. You know, my mother loved that story from the book of Daniel. And it irritated me to no end. Eat your vegetables, Roger. It says so in the Bible. But this six-year-old brain did not want to eat those vegetables. I didn't want them. I didn't like them. But these were not any vegetables when I think back on it. These were mostly my grandfather's vegetables. My grandfather uh, owned a hardware store, and uh, he had retired by the time I was born and uh, raised. And uh, he retired to a 10-acre farm, and he used to grow the most wonderful vegetables of all kinds. Uh, carrots of varied kinds, uh, lettuce of varied kinds, vegetables that I, I, you know, I couldn't even pronounce the names of them when I, was, when I was young, but I didn't like any of them. But grandfather used to take him to the stores to help fund, uh, to markets and to, and to restaurants to help fund his retirement. And he would bring them fresh out of the garden to our house. And my mom would make them for us. I just must have been out of my mind not to love these vegetables. I would love, love to go back to the 50s and our home and just have some of those green beans. Oh my Lord, I would love to have them. But then this six-year-old brain just could not compute. I did not want them. I did not like them. I thought they were ghastly. But there was one thing I did like. Uh, my dad, as I've just said, was a music person, a choral musician, and he taught voice. He had students all over the city and in the farms around the Midwestern city that I grew up in. And uh, he would often take me to the dairy farms, and he would push aside the uh, goats and the dairy cow, and we would go into the, uh, go into the house, and there he would secure uh, a mason's jar full of fresh cream and fresh butter. And then we would take those home, and Mom would make 
caramels out of them. The best caramels that I have ever had in my entire life. They were eschatological caramels. <laughs> I have never had anything like them since. Now, I know some of you probably like caramels too, and I'm sure you could try to convince me that some of the caramels that you have are probably as good as my mom's, and you would be wrong. Because deep in the recesses of my memory are the taste of those caramels. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can hardly wait to die and go to heaven and have some again. Because I know my mom is cooking them there. But then, you know what my mom did with those caramels? She used them as leverage. to get me to eat my vegetables. It worked, of course. But as far as I'm concerned, she weaponized those caramel to get me to eat my vegetables. You see, I, I, when I read that story from the book of Daniel, this story that were before us this morning, I, I thought that Nebuchadnezzar had it right. <laughs> the rich food, he had it right. But mom was convinced that Daniel got it right. And of course, he did get it right. And of course, my mom got it right. It turns out that my mom was way, 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 way ahead of her time. Fast forward into the present day. Any of you uh, ever encountered Michael Pollan's food rules? If you don't know it, go buy it. It's a powerful book. Wonderful book about the contemporary food, uh, uh, agricultural business, and uh, the, the way we eat and the way we should be eating. Two rules that are very significant to me um, that he lifts up. He says, don't eat anything that your great-grandmother would not identify as food. <laughs> and when you go into the grocery store, eat from the periphery of the grocery store, not from the middle. In other words, if it's green and if it's leafy, buy it and eat it. If it contains substance that you cannot pronounce, <laughs> don't eat it, don't buy it. In his larger work, some of you may know about it, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and he was featured prominently in Food Inc. If you've seen that uh, documentary on the food industry, this monocultural food industry that um, has replaced almost all the farms in my, near my hometown. We were just there, uh, driving to Colorado in uh, August and, and September. We went through Missouri and we saw what was happening. Uh, rows and rows and rows of corns and containers uh, that uh, the corn was fed to animals to fatten them up. And uh, artificially, by the way. And to make them uh, uh, for the fast food market. Uh, it's happening all over the country. Michael Pollan recently read an article um, in, the, in the Washington Post saying that it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. It's a monocultural reality out there. We're artificially fattening up animals. It's not good for the animals. It's not good for the land. It's not good for people. It's artificial. It's monocultural. It's a reality with which we have dealt with perhaps for a very long time. Hard to know how we're going to get out of it, but we need to. And it's the reality that is in the book of Daniel. The same reality in the book of Daniel. 
It's really interesting. Often, you, you, you might overlook it as you read the, uh, that, that story from the book of Daniel, but note where Nebuchadnezzar takes the exiles to the land of Shinar. You ever heard that word before, that land, that place? That's the very place of the Tower of Babel. Go back to Genesis chapter 11. It was at the land of Shinar. Let's recount that story because it's very relevant for this, this passage from the book of Daniel. Um, it was one tribe, one people. This is a mythic story, by the way. And lest they be scattered about the earth, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. And they were to build a tower up to the heavens. But God saw what they were doing and scattered them throughout the earth. And people became a multinational, multilingual people. They became diverse. Now, what's interesting about that story, the traditional interpretation of the story of the Tower of Babel is the main problem is pride. That's what traditionally they say about the Tower of Babel. But Ted Hebert, a very fine Old Testament scholar, um, sees something else in that story. He says, you know, punishment and pride is maybe part of it, but excuse me, punishment is not really part of that story. And pride may be part of it, but really why God scattered the people on the earth is because God wants diversity. God wants difference. God wants us to be a multilingual, multinational people with difference. That's what God wants. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't want it. You might call this a make Babylon great again moment for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, what he wanted to do was co-opt the best from Israel, the exiles, and make them like Babylonians in every way, shape, or form. He wanted sameness. He wanted the same thing the people at Tower of Babel wanted. He wanted the same language, the same food, the same reality. It's a monocultural reality he wanted, and he was going to force it on them. So go figure that eating your vegetables would be a revolutionary act of resistance against the tyrannical forces that Daniel was facing. Go figure. And so it is for us. People have been trying to do this from time immemorial, you know. Pharaoh tried to do it. The Assyrians tried to do it. Rome tried to do it. We're still trying to do this today. Brian Bantam has a, has a, has a beautiful way of, of getting, though, at what God has in mind for us. Brian Bantam says that God created us to love and to be loved and to love each other in big ways and in small ways, and in the ways in which we are the same, and in the ways in which we are different. In fact, it is through loving one another in our differences that we fully embody the image of God. So difference is a way to love others and a way to love God. It is through difference that we fully embrace who we are as the people of God. So eat your vegetables. 
Eat them. And place yourselves in places that are uncomfortable to you. In places of difference. Especially those places where difference is tyrannized. Tried to make homogenous. Tried to be forced into hierarchies of value and power. And ask questions like Daniel asked, who is at the table? And what do we eat at the table? Ask those kind of questions. Because the same questions that Jesus asked. You remember what he was criticized most for? Eating with outcasts and sinners. Embrace difference in all of its manifest forms, in all of its beautiful forms, in all of its glorious forms. For by embracing difference, we, be, we live fully into the image of God. And first and foremost, eat your vegetables. Let us pray. Oh God, for the relentless power of difference, for the power in which it is expressed in its manifold forms, in race and in color, in the earth itself, in the rainbow of the people of the earth. Help us to know that we are called as people in the image of God to be complemented by difference. Even and maybe even especially when it makes us uncomfortable. Because therein is the heart and core of our salvation. Amen.